DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Danny Tarkanian, author of Rebel with a Cause, a biography of his father, Jerry Tarkanian, the UNLV coach and Fresno State coach. Danny, good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Believe it or not, I was a student at UCSB in the 80s, and I watched you play <laughs> basketball. We're getting old, Danny. What happened? Yeah, Jerry Trim or before Jerry? Uh, well, I was there before Jerry, and then I did the games on the radio. So, actually, I asked Jerry Pym a lot of questions about your dad because your dad was in the news big time then, and Jerry had known him for a very long time. Yeah, Jerry was one of the great, greatest underrated coaches of all time. He had great teams at Utah. In fact, uh, in the book, I talked about how um, uh, the first Final Four team we had, we had a real close game against uh, uh, Pim's, Pim's team at Utah, and there was one call that made the difference. And, you know, if it goes against us, Utah's in the final four, not UNLV. I want to know, Danny, all the stuff that's going on in college basketball today. What would your father think, and what would he say? He'd say, Well, I've been saying this for a long time, and uh, everybody <laughs> used to complain that I was just um, uh, a cheater, and, uh, and, um, crying sour grapes when uh, what he was actually saying at that time is how college basketball has been operated and ran for decades now. So how do you think that your dad got singled out as a bad guy in an era? Because I think college fans are now more savvy to the fact that, you know, you're, if you're in the top 20, 30, 40 schools, somewhere, somewhere in that number, there, there's a lot of stuff going on that nobody wants to make public, and the FBI just made some of it public. Um, was it, well, was it that know, widespread in your dad's era, or was it a fewer, te- fewer teams? Sure, and it was a little bit different. I discussed this in the book. You know, in the early um, infancy of basketball, you had the boosters that were paying some of them. Now, there's only, there's only a, a dozen or so, maybe two dozen schools that would, this was happening to, but you'd have boosters that would pay large sums of money to get players to come there and then give them large sums while they were there. But you got to, and I distinguish this in the book, there's a big difference, and my dad made this point, I think this is what infuriated the NC trade so much, was there's a big difference between buying a player and getting them to come to school and giving them large sums of money, which my father said was completely wrong and every coach should be fired if they did so. And, or the other ones where you're violating the ridiculous rules the NC Tway had that treated the um, kids that were dominating the collegiate sports at that time, poor inner city African-American kids. Uh, they were discriminating against those kids because they didn't have any discretionary income. If these kids came from poor backgrounds or families didn't have money that could give, give them when they got to college. And the NC Tway rules... Uh, made them live as uh, in poverty or uh, at a much lower level under the uh, fellow college students. My dad kept saying that was wrong. And in the book, I gave some examples. We recruited a kid out of New York named Richie Adams. He was from Fort Apache in the Bronx, one of the worst neighborhoods in the entire country. He lived with his grandmother because he didn't have any parents. And when he signed with us, how does he get to college? How does he get to Las Vegas without breaking any rules? His family doesn't have any money. Well, of course, uh, somebody from UNLV had to arrange for him to get money to fly out there. And every school in the country that recruits these kids are doing the same thing because the kids just don't have the money to get out there. Then once they get out to school, how do those kids... Uh, you know, they, they got to put a deposit on an apartment. They don't have that money. Maybe they got to get furniture for the apartment. They don't have that money. Well, if they want to go on a date, they don't have any money to go on the date. The scholarship check was just the cost of tuition and the room and board and, and eating in the cafeteria. 
So my dad was an outspoken critic against uh, these rules and the way they treated the players, and the NC2 didn't like that. My dad did back down, and it went on for 31 years, his entire coaching career. So do you think, in a sense, your father was just ahead of his time? Well, there's no doubt about it, and I don't know if it's so much ahead of his time because all the coaches that were involved uh, coaching at that time knew what was going on. My father was more outspoken, and it, to the day he died, he said the biggest mistake he made was being outspoken against the NC toy, uh, and he felt it, it, it really de- destroyed his career. It certainly ended it prematurely and, and minimized it. Um, I mean, he didn't get in the Hall of Fame until he was 83 years old when he had one of the greatest records of all time and certainly the greatest at a non-major college. Um, so he just was outspoken, and maybe uh, he, sh- he shouldn't have been, but he did it because he believed in it, and I was very proud of what he did. So your dad was a great interview. He was not a good interview. He was a great interview, and I had multiple <laughs> experiences with that, and yeah. he said hilarious stuff. And I'm wondering which line you remember more fondly. Uh, I love Pac-10 transfers because their cars are already paid for. That that was he loved that he got that one when we a Greg Gorgian transferred from Arizona State and came to UNLV. He was driving a white Fiat convertible, <laughs> paid for by Arizona State. Or the NCA is so mad at Kentucky that they put Western Kentucky on probation. Yeah, you know that's my favorite. It's one that's been. Uh, out there the most. Uh, he, my father has a really, he was really quick with and had some great lines. I put those in the book, not only the ones that he had, but also the ones that other fellow coaches had that were really um, funny uh, during the time. Jim Balvano was one of the funniest coaches ever, and I got a bunch of his one-liners in there. Abe Lemons, who used to coach at uh, Oklahoma City and then uh, Texas. Funny guy, and they used to, that was how coaching was back then. It was a fraternity, and the coaches would hang out together. They'd tell these stories. They'd crack people up, and, and I'd try to put that in the book so the readers would really appreciate and enjoy it much more. Do you think the NCAA has eased up on trying to be so meticulous on infractions? Are they just ignoring it or what? But what they did was, and my dad argued for this when he was coaching, he said the scholarship, he did not think you should pay players to come to to play basketball at the school, but he did think the kids should get enough money to live as fellow uh, students do that are on campus. So the NC2, ironically, um, this was what, 20 five years after my father uh, left UNLV. The NCAA had a pass legislation that now allows schools to pay um, kids enough money so they can live as a fellow student. So exactly what my father said. And with that now, there should be less cheating that needs to go on. There still are rules that they need to change. Like you should be able to allow um, the school to pay for the kid to come out to school and then even to go home maybe once or twice a year to visit his family. There are more rules that need to be changed, but because... Uh, of the scrutiny that's gone on uh, from the national media now, the institute is slowly but surely making these these changes. You know, back in the 60s and 70s and even the 80s, the institute really had a, um, a lock on the media. Uh, the media believed everything the institute said and, and never really criticized them. Now the media is criticizing them and it's exposing some of the real problems out there. Danny Tarkanian joining us, author of Rebel with a Cause, a biography of his dad, Jerry Tarkanian. Um, would your dad be surprised at how uh, massive the cheating has gotten now? Because we have heard stories, and I mean, we can't go into who's telling them on the air, but PK and I both believe them, uh, stories of elite players who can charge for home visits. Because it means so much to a, 
for a home visit. If you want a home visit, if you want to come to my house and you'll use that to recruit other kids, you're going to pay X number. And it's a good number. It's a good number. I don't, I don't believe that was going on when my father coached. I think what happens is the rewards of success is so great now. I mean, you get, look at the salaries these coaches are making um, and how much money the schools are making uh, because there's so much at risk uh, or the rewards are being so great, the cheating is getting worse, and I'm sure it would stagger anybody, including my father. One of the things that I thought that as I reflected back and looking about what he had going on at UNLV, he was known as, you know, a run-and-gun guy, just high-flying dunks and all that stuff, and it was very entertaining basketball. But then you read the foreword from uh, Shusevsky, and he says Jerry Tarkanian was a phenomenal defensive coach. Do you find that sort of funny that his legacy isn't really like that, even though his peers considered him to be a phenomenal defensive coach? You know, that's really a great question. Thank you for bringing it up because it's one of the reasons I wrote the book is there's so many misnomers about my father uh, and his career. Uh, when my father first started coaching, he was his own coach. And in this, he took over Long Beach State program that was Division Two. And in his third year, they almost beat UCLA in the regional finals. They lost by two in the closest game UCLA had in the seven-year national championship run. After the game, John Wooden said uh, Tarkanian was the greatest zone coach he'd ever played against. And then Coach K, after we beat him by 30 in the national championship game, made the same comments, but this time about his man defense. He said Coach Tarkin is one of the greatest uh, man uh, defensive coaches ever. And in the forward, he said the same thing. My father always had success because of his defense, and he always emphasized defense. Anybody who came and watched us practice, it was a three-hour practice, Two hours would be full defense, only defense, and then the last hour would do defense to offense. But we really worked on it, and we worked on the real fine techniques of it. And I, I tried to put that in the book, too. I explained, you know, what we went through and how he taught it because it was very, very unique. Uh, nobody concentrated on the small things of defensively that, that uh, my dad did. In fact, Billy Donovan came to Fresno State to ask us how we taught defense so well and we went through all these things and he said well there's no way we can coach that there's just too much to it and it really was because of some of the stories uh jerry pin had and the personal relationship he had with jerry tarkanian i always had a soft spot for tark i found him entertaining and i found him uh fun uh but we also have ties to some of the programs your dad has been at and from people who were there after him and I'm curious, and, and I'm 100% with you on the NCAA hypocrisy and some schools got penalized and your dad got treated more harshly, but do you think if everything your dad did came to light, uh, do you think he'd have no regrets, some regrets, a lot of regrets? Where, where do you think that would fall? Well, I think my father did what he felt was necessary to um, allow the kids that were participating at his, at his, in his program and at his school to live a, a life like uh, other college kids are doing. And they certainly were, were numerous violations. And he had to go through his entire coaching career denying those things were happening. Uh, um, my dad hated hypocrisy. He hated phony. So I know that really bothered him. Um, in fact, whenever you, you spoke with him a little bit, uh, and he was honest about it. He'd make his comments. Another one of his funny liners was that um, uh, uh, nine out of ten co- uh, school coaches are cheating. The tenth is in last place, and um, <laughs> and he really believed that. 
I think UNLV is one of the hardest jobs in the country because of your father, because they're always referring back to him and the success that he had. Uh, does the Tarkanian family realize how difficult they made that job because of a phenomenal run that he had? Yeah, I think that's happened, too, at some other schools with John Wood and some others. But I'm going to tell you the problem UNLV had is, first, they forced my father out in a very humiliating and disgraceful manner, and it alienated a lot of the supporters of my dad's program. But worse than that, they intentionally tried to disown and lose the memory of all the great uh, things that my father and his program did. Uh, they didn't put a picture of my father up in the Thomas and Mack Center for over 15 years after he coached. Uh, they have, they wanted nothing to do with the program. In fact, Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman, and Greg Anthony, they all uh, changed their number once they went to the NBA, and they would, and when they had those cards where they put down what school you're from, Larry Johnson put Odessa Junior College. He wouldn't even put UNLV. It wasn't until Long Kruger came that he embraced the past, and uh, they started doing some things with my father. They built the statue and everything, and uh, that's trying to bring the program back together. And I think that gives them a better chance of success now than they had in the past. I know you got to run, but I want to leave you with this, Danny, because it's one story, uh, and you may know others about it with your dad, but it was just one interaction I had. I had just gotten my first radio job in Santa Barbara out of school. I worked at a news talk radio station there, and I had a half-hour talk show, and it just filled the time from the end of the local news and the drive time in the afternoon until we went into whatever game or talk show we were going into. So you get a guest on. I knew a Tark come to town for, you know, the, that's the biggest game of the year in Santa Barbara, and I had to get him. And so I set it up, and I was going to get a phone call with him at his, in his hotel room the night before the, uh, or the night they got in. And it was, you know, supposed to be at like 9.30 at night or something. And I start calling at 9.30, and I call every five minutes until midnight. And it never, no answer, nothing. And I see the UCSB sports information director, and they had gone out to dinner and drinks afterwards, and there was like 10 or 15 of them, and Tark was telling stories, and they were out until 1 in the morning, and it was hilarious, and literally, that's why I didn't get the interview, but I was desperate. I had already promoted it, so the next morning, I went to the hotel, and I figured, I'm going to just try and catch him in a hallway. This is totally embarrassing that I promoted, and I'm not going to have the interview. I'm literally doing the job for like, I'm a month into the job, and... Uh, and I see all these players coming down for breakfast. I knew they were the, where they were going to go at the Biltmore. And everybody's in the UNLV gear, right? T-shirts, sweats, and all that. I see assistant coaches, no Tark. I finally go and call his room, and uh, and I get this answer. Uh, hello? I clearly woke him up. <laughs> I'm stammering like a 22-year-old idiot. Just, I, I was at David James, I, was, I thought we were going to interview, and then you did. And he's like, come on up to my room. Click. And he hangs up. Well, they're not going to give me his room number. I got to call him back. He gives me the room number. I go there. The door's propped open. He is propped up in bed on a pillow. This would <laughs> never, ever happen. I couldn't believe it happened then. And I give him this interview. He literally had to grab his pants and pull them off the chair and throw them to the ground. Sit there, kid. And he's got the, <clears throat> the morning voice. And then I click the microphone. I kid you not. His voice clears up. He's totally alert. He does a priceless 10-minute interview. He dropped the Kentucky West Kentucky. Kentucky line. He said, I guarantee you Kentucky's cheating. You play this interview for me in one year. You tell me I'm wrong. The NCAA will do nothing. The next year, more respectably, I catch him out of the arena at the end of the shoot around the, or the practice the day before, going to the bus. 
and I'm holding two tape recorders, and he's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? He has no memory of this interview, right? And I, so I start in on the interview, and I'm telling him, a year ago I was in your, you're at your hotel, and you told me, and his eyes lit up. All of a sudden he remembered, you're the guy I let into my hotel room. And I start to play the other one. He goes, you don't have to play it. I know what I said. And he went on this hilarious 90-second rant, uh, rant. They were two of the just so much fun to do those interviews and so enlightening. It was good to have you on and uh, I know you're going to well, stick thanks. up for the memory of your dad, you know, your son, and of course you're going to do that. And so, good luck with the book. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I love to hear those stories. Danny Tarkanian, author of Rebel with a Cause, a biography of his father, Jerry Tarkanian.